Hi, everybody. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. Uh, before I get started today, I, I just want to give a sh shout out to those across the atrium here at Braider Way site, those of you who are in the Gospel Fusion venue. We're launching that today. Well, actually, we launched it like last year, March. But we had like two Sundays and then boom, COVID hit. So yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing many of us haven't really heard about Gospel Fusion or we're not really sure what it is. And so I'm going to give you a quick rundown, okay? Three things to know about Gospel Fusion. Number one, the Bible teaches that God envisions a multicultural kingdom, a community of different peoples, different ethnicity, different culture, different language, different backgrounds coming together to love each other and to learn from each other. And we, Blackhawk Church, we are a community that is responding to that call. And so having this gospel fusion venue is an important step on our journey. Number two, the music style, the worship style in gospel fusion is a blend, a, a fusion, if you will, of gospel music and contemporary Christian music. Uh, Pastor Koya McNair is our venue pastor for Gospel Fusion, and he leads a team that intentionally designs this blended worship experience. Number three, Gospel Fusion is an intentional multicultural space. We are putting together a multicultural team of people who are designing the shape and the feel, not only of Sunday morning worship experience, but also community life. Because we want the space to be a place where people can get to know each other and develop maybe cross-cultural relationships. But, you know, it's going to change, right? Because we're just getting started. So remember, it's going to evolve and move in the days to come. But the important thing to remember is that everybody is welcome at Gospel Fusion. Everybody is welcome. Now, while I'm on the subject of Gospel Fusion, I think it's also in kind of right time to, to say a little bit about Blackhawk's African-American ministry. But before I say more about that ministry, uh, let's watch this video. Well, hello there. I'm Collier. And I'm Myra. Welcome to Blackhawk African-American ministry, also known as BAM. Our mission at BAM is to build a thriving African-American community that follows Christ, fosters cross-cultural relationships for God's kingdom, and deeply impacts Dane County with Jesus' love. Every week, we gather online to worship and pray together. Throughout the week, we meet for fellowship and discussion. We encourage each other and grow with each other. And we are here for you. This is a place where you are welcome and where you belong. We get to live out the vision that God has for his people. We invite you to join our BAM community. You can head over to our website to get connected. And if you have any questions, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. We look forward to meeting you. But until then, God bless. Now, uh, we are excited about BAM. We're so excited about BAM. We want to invite you to BAM. If you consider the African-American community to be your primary place of identity and belonging, then BAM is the place for you. Okay, go online and learn more. Now, if that's not true for you, 
but you're, you still really want to foster relationship with people with different backgrounds and you want to learn more, uh, that's awesome. And, and we have other places for that, Gospel Fusion being one, being one. But also you can consider joining a race and faith group that is coming up. You will hear more about that in the next couple of weeks. Now, I also want to take this time to answer a common question that people have. And it's a really good question. People often ask, well, hey, hey, Blackhawk, if, if we're becoming a, a multicultural community, why do we have ministries like BAM and Blackhawk Chinese Ministry? I mean, I mean, if we're trying to come together, why are we separating? Now, that's a really good question. Now, as I said earlier, Blackhawk Church, we're on a journey toward becoming a multicultural church, but we are not alone. There are many, many churches who are walking alongside us. And one of the great things of that is we can talk to people. We talk to other churches, and we learn from other churches. And one of the things that we have learned is that for a church like ours, one that is predominantly white, it is important that we intentionally foster space for people of color that's just for them. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive, now, that sounds really weird. Like, why would that be? Well, it's the same reason why there are so many culture-specific churches in our country. Why there's Chinese churches, Korean churches, Japanese churches, Asian American churches, African American churches, Latino churches, predominantly white churches, right? We, we have those, these kind of churches because when we come to church, we want to be with people who understand and share our experience. It's why we have ministries like Mom to Mom or College Age Ministry. We want to be surrounded with people who just get it, who get us without us having to explain. And when we create intentional space for people of color at Blackhawk Church, they, if they want to, can experience what so many of us take for granted. That is the ability to go to a church and be surrounded by people who share our experience. And that's key, folks. That's key. Because we know that when we feel like we belong, then we are encouraged, we're, we're confident to cross cultural divides. And that's how we build a multicultural community. And that's what makes a space like Gospel Fusion can take off. You need both kinds of spaces. We need intentional spaces for people of color, and we need the intentional multicultural spaces where everybody can come together. Building both kinds of spaces is, an, is a big part of our strategic initiative for Blackhawk to become a multicultural church. So uh, before I continue on, let me, let me pray for us. I want to pray for BAM. I want to pray for Gospel Fusion. I want to pray for our church. So join me. Father, this is not our idea. This is your idea. Father, you want, you want your church to reveal who you are, and you are all about loving those who are different. And you want us to reveal that here in Madison, to show the world what a community empowered by the Holy Spirit can be. And so, Father, we are responding to that call, and we need help. We are humbled because this is hard, and we're not going to get everything right. And we know that. So, Father, we pray. We pray for gospel fusion. We pray for BAM. We pray for our whole church. First, we pray for your guidance, but for your wisdom. And the second, we pray that you just soften our hearts so that we become people who listen, people who seek out to hear people who are different from us, to learn from other people, that we humble ourselves. Number three, we pray for your love, <laughs> that love that crosses all boundaries. You pour that love into our hearts so we can love across ethnic 
culture language boundaries. That you empower us to serve and to sacrifice for those who are different from us. For you and your glory to reflect who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Once upon a time, a group of people decided to move and they packed up their stuff and they took off. Well, Charles, that's not that exciting. I mean, people move all the time for all kinds of reasons. People move today. Well, well yeah, but this group made a big move. They moved 900 miles. That's a pretty far move, right? I mean, Google Maps tells you that if you drive from Madison to Philadelphia, it's about 900 miles. That's, that's, that's pretty far. True. But you know, when Serena and I, we moved to Madison, we drove from Vancouver, British Columbia. That's like over 2,000 miles. And there are people here in this room and those watching online, you moved halfway around the country. So 900 miles, eh, been there, done that. Okay. But this was a move before the days of planes, trains, and automobiles. Ah. So these people walked the 900 miles. And yeah, 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 and, and they didn't travel light. They packed up everything they had and put it on donkeys. They brought their livestock, their cows, their sheep, their goats. It was a four-month trip. Hmm. Now, those of you who love living outdoors and camping, have you ever camped for four months straight? I don't think so. But you know what really makes this trip amazing? That it wasn't a small group of people, like a family or a clan or a group of friends. No, 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 no. This was 50,000 people. 50,000 people joining together, caravanning down the road, 900 miles, four months. Yikes. 50,000 people. That's like if everybody in Fitchburg and Middleton collectively decided, hey, we're all going to move to Philadelphia, and we're all going to walk there. That'll make the evening news. So the question, the obvious question is, why? Why would these people do that, right? Go to a new school, better job, a land of opportunity. Why? That's the question we're going to be exploring today. Today we are starting a new sermon series, a five-part sermon series on the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in your Bible, the table of contents lists Ezra as a book and Nehemiah as a book. So there's two books. But the two books were originally one book in the Hebrew Bible. So in the series, you'll often hear us say Ezra and Nehemiah as though it's one book, which it is. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah is not the most well-known book in the Bible. Not be surprised if you haven't read it. Um, it's part of biblical flyover country. And um, so I encourage you to read it. I do. It, it's a fast read. It reads pretty well. Uh, give you a little heads up on it. it. It has stories, yes, but it also has a lot of other stuff in it that's kind of unusual, right? It has like official documents, like official letters, just copy and pasted right in. It has a lot of lists, lists of people's names, lists of places, even inventory of stuff. They just kind of like grabbed it and stuck it right in. It also includes the memoirs of two people, uh, one guy named Ezra and the other named Nehemiah. Very good. <laughs> Very good. So give it a read. Moves pretty fast, especially if you skim over the lists. Okay. Now, before you start, I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, Ezra Nehemiah recounts a story uh, 
that events from over 2,400 years ago. And the people in the story are ancient Israelites. And at the beginning of the story, they're, well, they're in Babylon. They're in ancient Mesopotamia. So they're here. And the, and the book is about the story of their travel. They travel how from Babylon, 900 miles, four months, 50,000 of them, all the way to Jerusalem. Huh. And it's actually not just one trip. It's actually multiple trips, right? There's actually one group, the 50,000. Um, they are led by a guy named Zerubbabel. Great name. Say it fast five times. Give it a shot. Okay. Around 539, 538 B.C., and then there's a second group, about 80 to 100 years later, led by a guy, well, by Ezra. And then there's a third group, led by Nehemiah, about 445 B.C. And Ezra and Nehemiah is about the return of these people, but also about what happens when they get to Jerusalem. You see, the story is about them rebuilding, relaunching the community of the people of God. It's about restoration. And so if you look at the entire book of Ezra and Nehemiah, this is a kind of a rough outline. Okay? As you're reading, you can kind of follow this. The first six, chap first six chapters, restoration of the temple, building the temple. Se chapter 7 through 10 of Ezra, restoration of the community. Nehemiah 1 through 6 is restoration of the Jerusalem and its walls. And then there is a restoration of covenant commitment. This book is about restoration. It's about homecoming. We call this series Homecoming because it is a story of the people of God coming home to the land of their ancestors. It's about their return. It's about their life there, their triumphs and their failures. But most importantly, it's about their priorities. Right? They're not just rebuilding their lives. No, 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 no. They're rebuilding the shape of the community of the people of God. And they prioritize certain things over other things. And they weave their values, their beliefs, their identity into the fabric of their lives. The teaching team, we decided to read Ezra and Nehemiah at this point, at this time, at this season, because we think we're in a similar place with the exiles. That we are in the middle of relaunching our lives. Right? It feels like for the past 12 months, we, we, we just really slowed down. We stopped doing a lot of things. We stopped going physically to work. We stopped physically going to school. We stopped seeing our friends except via Zoom. It just feels like our lives emptied out. And now we are putting things back in, right? Committing to people, committing to relationships, committing to activities, teams, sports, all kinds of stuff. We're putting things in. And right now, this is a great time to ask ourselves, hey, what kind of a life are we building? What is our priority? What do we want to weave into the fabric of our lives. And that's what this series is going to be about. We're going to use Ezra and Nehemiah to tell us what should be the fundamental elements for the lives of the people of God in this season. And so next week, Chris is going to tell us about how this ancient, the ancient Israelites, they build Bible reading into the center of their community. Uh, Pastor Michael is going to talk, talk to us about how, these, how, how they rebuild their community differently from the people around them. Pastor Matt is going to talk about lament and repentance and why that's so important in the lives of the people of God. And then finally, I'll come back. We'll, we'll talk about why they prioritize worship, why it's so important for us as God's people. So that's what's coming up in the next four weeks. And that's what's coming up in this series. So 
What about today? Well, today we're going to begin with a prior question, which is, what are the ancient Israelites doing in Babylon in the first place? Huh, if you have your Bible, please turn to Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now, um, if you have your digital device, you just, you know, just push, you know, plug, you know, plug the, you know, type it right in. But if you have a paper Bible, it's about one-third of the way into your Bible. It's right after Chronicles, if that helps. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of Yahweh, when you see the word Lord in all caps, that marks God's personal name, Yahweh. In order to fulfill the word of Yahweh spoken by Jeremiah, Yahweh moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. Let's just stop right there. Whoa, 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 what's going on here? This is how the book starts? I mean, like, wait, Cyrus? Persia? Uh, words spoken by Jeremiah? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, how can you start a book like this? Well, so when you look at the table of contents in your English Bible, it's a little bit tricky because it, it, it seems to suggest there's all these different books in the Bible. But the reality is very few of the books are standalone books. Very few you just kind of pick up and start reading and it makes sense. No, most of the books require that you know something about other books. Because the Bible is a single story. And so Ezra and Nehemiah is definitely one of those where you need to know everything that's come before. So to help us with that, let me do a quick summary of the story of the Bible up till Ezra and Nehemiah. We start with creation. God creates a wonderful world, a beautiful world, and he creates humans to rule over it. And he invites the humans into a loving community where he lives with the human beings and they get to know each other and love each other. That's God's vision for creation. However, the humans have other ideas. They say, you know what? You know, we're pretty smart. We can run the world. We don't need God to tell us what to do. And so they rebel against God. And in so doing, their relationship with God is broken. Though the humans didn't realize that if we break off our relationship with God, we become broken as well. And so as broken people, we do broken things. And we create broken societies that oppress and destroy people. And we do great damage to the world that God has given us. And now we get to the main storyline of the Bible. The main storyline of the Bible is God's response to human rebellion. God is stubborn. He does not give up. He does not quit on the human beings. He says, I am going to restore my creation. I'm going to restore my original vision. And he does that by calling a man named Abraham. And Abraham is a man who lives um, out here in ancient Mesopotamia in the land of Ur. And he says to Abraham, hey, if, go to a new place. Go to a place that you've never seen before called Canaan. Okay? Go there, and there I will make you into a great kingdom. And, and I will use this kingdom as my tool to reverse the brokenness of this world. And so Abraham does this. He travels all the way there, okay? By the way, you, you notice something, right? You, are you catching the parallel? Okay, so, all right, so a lot of things happen. Moses, um, time in Egypt, all that stuff. Let's fast forward 800 years. And, and Abraham's descendants, they actually create a, a, king, a kingdom called Israel. 
and the people are called Israelites, and they have this new capital city in Jerusalem right here, and uh, they, make, they, 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 they create a country right here, okay? And, and in, in Jerusalem, they build a temple, and the temple symbolizes God's presence with his people. It, it foreshadows that original vision of God and people coming together in a loving community. Right? The temple is right there telling them that this is the people of God. And I just want to throw this in for free, but you notice, look at all this green area here. Right? That's the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley. Huge population growth right here, the birthplace of empires. And then you have the Nile River Valley right here. That's the Egyptian, you know, Egyptian empire. You don't travel between them through here because that's all what? It's all desert. Exactly. So how do you go from Babylon to Egypt? And if you want to also talk about the Greek empire up there, what has God done? God has placed Israel smack dab in the middle of the ancient world. And the ancient people of God have a job to show the whole world what it's like to know God, to love God, and to live with God. They have a mission to help restore the brokenness of this world. And that, of course, does not work out. Israel, God's people, don't want to be God's people. They don't want to live out God's values and his characters. And so they worship other gods. And, and, and they create a society that is rife with injustice and murder of the innocent and oppression of the powerless. And, and th this goes on for 400-some years. And finally, God says, enough is enough. This isn't working. And so he brings the Babylonians, and they come and they destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the temple that symbolizes God's community with his people. Now, Babylonians have this policy, which is when they conquer a people, they take the kind of the, the top, upper, the, the upper half, right, the elite, the nobility, the educated, and they take them and bring them all back to Babylon. And they do this because that way they won't lead a rebellion. So we won't have any trouble in our, in our, in our boundary. And that's how ancient Israelites ended up in Babylon. And so... Here you have a bunch of ancient Israelites living in Babylon, 900 miles away from their homeland. And, and they're like, wait, who are we? Right? They need to figure out their identity. What is our story? Especially when we start having kids. Right? What are we going to tell the kids? What are we doing here? And now, now some of these ancient Israelites undoubtedly said, you know what? I think the reason we're here is because our God, Yahweh, simply isn't as powerful as the Babylonian gods, Marduk. So we lost. So it's time to worship Marduk and become of our Babylonian. Some undoubtedly gave up being the people of God. But the rest of them, they hold on to their faith. They hold on to their identity. In fact, they, they strengthen it. They reformulate it. They pull their story together. You know, in your Bible, the first 11 books, Genesis through 2 Kings, not counting Ruth, that story runs from creation to exile. It's a story that I just summarized. They pull that together during this time in Babylon. And they use that story to answer the basic questions for themselves and for their children. Who are we? We are the chosen people of the one true God, the creator God of the universe. We have been chosen to become God's tool to reverse the brokenness of this world. We are supposed to be a great kingdom in the land of Canaan led by a great king. Okay, 
So what do we do in Babylon? We messed up. We messed up big time, repeatedly, over and over again, generation after generation after generation, and finally God said, nope. And he destroyed the temple that symbolized his presence with us. And so here we are in Babylon, far away from our homeland. Well, what's going to happen to us? We have hope. We have hope in this God. You see, we know our God. We, we know from the stories that our parents and our, and our, and our ancestors tell, tell us, they, they, they tell us that our God is a God of love and compassion and forgiveness and grace. And he will not hold our sins against us forever. He will restore us. He will bring us back home. That's going to happen. We know that because he's already sent prophets to tell us that. One of the prophets even set a deadline. That prophet's name is Jeremiah. When our fathers and grandfathers first got to Babylon, Jeremiah sent them a letter. <laughs> and we still have that letter. I want to read it to you. This is what Yahweh Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. The Babylonians didn't carry us into exile. God did. I carried an exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too have, may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to Yahweh for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what Yahweh says. When 70 years, 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares Yahweh, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares Yahweh, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Jeremiah tells us there's a hope, there's a plan. That God is going to come for us, and he's going to take us back to our homeland. And really, that's all there is. We're, we're, we're a minority group here in Babylon. We, we're, we're under foreign power. It's a massive empire. We have no chance. We have no hope here. Already, we're being assimilated into Babylonian culture. Look, it's only God. There is no plan B. And so the ancient Israelites live in Babylon for 70 years. And then one day, everything changes. A geopolitical earthquake. <laughs> Boom. Babylon, the regional superpower, is destroyed, and the Persians, led by a king named Cyrus, takes over. <laughs> the entire ancient Near East is under new management, and the Persians are different from the Babylonians. The Babylonians grab people and bring them to Babylon, their capital city. The Persians have an entirely different policy. Their policy is to return displaced people back to their homeland. They figure that's better for them. It's better because it creates loyalty, right, and gratitude. And it's a better way to run an empire of this size. 
And so this change in policy is what the book of Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah begins with. It begins with this momentous change. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, makes more sense now, right? In order to fulfill the word of Yahweh spoken by Jeremiah, the, Yahweh moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Wow. Miracle of miracles, okay? I mean, Jer Jer Jeremiah nailed it. I mean, this is where even biblical scholars would go, you know, secular, non-Christian biblical scholars would go, yeah, I think Jeremiah got that one. He saw that one coming. It's pretty amazing. All of a sudden, ancient Israelites are now free to go back to their homeland if they want to. Hey, think about this, okay? It's been 70 years. The people who left, they're mostly dead. The few that are still alive, they were kids when they left Israel. Right? So let's get into the mind of the exiles. Right? Get in the mind, okay, in the, in the exiles. We are people born in Babylon. We speak Aramaic, the language of Babylon. Hebrew, uh, not that good. <laughs> we, we follow what Jeremiah said. We, we, we settled down here. We made a life here. Right? We got property. We got families. We got connections. We got society. We got jobs. We have all kinds of things going on here. And all of a sudden, wait, we're supposed to go back? Seriously? Huh. And I'm sure this question is, is, is kind of rattling the mind of every ancient Israelite. Right? Should I go? I mean, if we go, we're giving up everything we've known, have ever seen in our lives. I mean, talk about the trip, 900 miles, four months. Hardship, danger. And what are we going to get when we go there? Right? And we're giving up the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley. <sighs> I mean, consistent water supply for our crops, for our livestock. We're going to a place where there's like no major river system, where you live and die by the rainfall. And it's not like there's nobody there. We can just do whatever we want. No, there's people there already. You think they're going to welcome us with open arms? I'm not holding my breath. And it's not like we're actually rebuilding the throne of David. You're establishing a sovereign kingdom of Israel. No, even living in Jerusalem, we'll be still be under the control of the Persians. There are so many reasons to say no. Yet there's only one reason to say yes. And that is, I want to be in the next chapter of the story of the people of God. Let me clarify this. We are in a world full of stories, right? We tell stories. I mean, I tell stories about my life, funny stories, sad stories. Everybody tells stories. And then people, you know, write stories into books, turn them to TV shows and movies that we stream. We encounter so many stories. There is one story that is fundamentally different from every other story in the world. And that story is the story of the people of God. All other stories are created by human beings, told by people. The story of the people of God is authored by God himself and is lived out by his people 
in this world. So let me just, let me just clarify things here, okay? Yes, there, there are some rules in the Bible, yes. But as a whole, the Bible is not a book of rules. And yes, some stories in the Bible teach us lessons. But as a whole, the Bible is not one of those books that has a moral to the story. No, 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 no. The Bible tells the story of the people of God. And as you read it, as you get into it, eventually you come to see yourself as one of the people of God. And you come to realize that God wants to use you to write the next chapter. So all of us who are Christ followers, we're actually in the same story as the ancient Israelites. We just come in a couple chapters later. And so the, for these ancient Israelites in Babylon, they know the story of the people of God. I mean, they heard about God doing amazing things, you know, you know land far away long, long time ago, right? I mean, I mean, they heard about Adam and Moses and David, and it's all very good and fun, and then boom, all of a sudden it got real. It got real. God is starting Restarting the kingdom of God. Do you want to be part of it? Do you want to partner with him to, 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 to redeem and fix and reverse the brokenness of our world? Do you want to go there and do it again and do it right this time? That's the fateful question posed to every ancient Israelite in Babylon. God's starting a new chapter do you want to be part of it? And to say yes means prioritizing things that you don't want to prioritize. It means, it, means, it means giving up on things you don't want to give up. It means making decisions that you don't want to make. There's so much loss, so much cost involved. And so for most of the ancient Israelites, the answer is no. But for the 50,000, they say, yes, we are the people of God. And we want to be part of the next chapter of God's people. So they pack up their stuff and they get on the road. 900 miles, four months. Animals, children scattered about on this road. And four months is a long time. Okay? And I'm sure they talked about all kinds of things. Okay? But I'm sure there's one thing they absolutely talked about. And that is... What are we going to do when we get there? Right? We want to rebuild the temple. Well, how do we do that? Do we have resources? Are we bringing the resources enough to be able to pay workers? Okay, we, everybody needs to contribute. We all need to chip in, guys. What if, what if we run into opposition? Oh, we need, we need some weapons? We need to, we need to like get, get united and be strong and get tough? How do we avoid the temptation that our ancestors had when they, when they assimilated with the people around them and became part of the Canaanites? How do we avoid that? Well, we need to build a community that is tight where we can actually, you know, call each other out, talk to each other, help each other stay united and stay distinctive from the world around us. How do you build a community like that? Intentionality. You need to build an intentional community. When you read the first three chapters of Ezra and Nehemiah, you will notice that intentionality just oozes out of the words. 
Okay? If you have your Bible, okay, I'm just going just to read a couple places here. Um, if you start with, you know, we, we read through verses, verses, uh, uh, verses 1 through 4. And then they start talking about all the stuff. And you get down to verse 9. They're talking about taking all the old articles and vessels from the original temple and taking them back to, the, to build a new temple. And then there, starting in verse 9, this was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Like, what the heck is going on here? Why are we doing inventory? Because we are serious about building the temple. We are detailed. We are planning. This is intentionality. We are building an intentional community. If you jump to verse, chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about this line where the people returning to Jerusalem and each to their own town. That's the end of chapter 2, verse 1. Wait a minute, what's going on? They are figuring out, they're doing urban planning. Okay, family, clans, you guys came from that town originally. Go back to that town originally. Why are we, what are we trying to do? We're trying to rebuild the original kingdom. Intentional community. Scan down chapter 2. Tons of names there. Keep scanning down. And all the way to verse 62. Right? And, and you notice, just, just notice that. They're searching family records. What's going on? They're saying to certain people, hey, you guys, you guys can't be priests because we can't find you in the family records. What are they doing? They're planning. They're figuring out the, the people who are going to work in the temple. And they're doing genealogical searches. Okay, they are being intentional. They are planning. They're getting ready. They're thinking through things. I can give examples after examples through these three chapters. How they brought sacred food ready for temple. How they brought animals for sacrifices to the temple. How they designated musicians and singers so they can be ready to lead worship when they get there. They're using the Bible to tell them how to build an altar. How to, how to do sacrifices. When to do them. How often. This is an intentional people and an intentional community. And they're launching their new community based on the story they know from childhood. What do we learn from them? Well, obviously, we have not been carried away from our homeland. But it feels like this past year, we have been exiled from our lives, from our family, from our friends, from our routines. It feels like we've been taken away and dumped into the strange place called COVID land. <laughs> and I don't know about you, I feel like I've settled down in COVID land. I feel pretty adapted, right? I mean, right now, I feel more comfortable in a Zoom meeting than an in-person meeting. <laughs> I, had, I had lunch with, with a friend the other day. It was kind of weird to make eye contact. I was like, wow, you're really close. <laughs> it's weird, right? I, 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 I spent so much time in my office chair, the chair's got grooves that fit my butt. You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't want to share with you how much I've worn through my sweatpants this winter. <laughs> I really know how to order food online now. I'm really good at it. We've adapted to COVID land. And it's now time to come home. It's now time to come home. It's time to build in the things that, the relationships, the activities, the lives, and it's time, like the exiles, to get intentional. That's what the series is about. And today, I want to start with step one. We have single next step for this talk. Very simple one, straightforward. It's time for us to do a diagnostic. Before we start 
filling our schedules up with people and activities, let's figure out where we've been and where God wants us to go. Get an overhead shot of our lives. Where are you spending your, your time and your resources? Ask the question, what in your life has withered away that needs to be rebuilt? What habits have crept into your life that really shouldn't be in the next season of life? Are there attitudes that have gotten to your hearts that don't belong at all? I just want to make a note that in Covaland, because we're so isolated from each other, it's had a huge impact, on, on, I think, on all of us. Because we don't see each other, I think we're more judgmental. I think we're more prone to ascribe motives to other people. The withering of our relationships have made us more angry and less trusting. And we need God's work to soften our hearts as we come home. Are there attitudes in your heart that need to go because they don't fit the story of the people of God? So, single next step. Do a diagnostic, but don't do it by yourself. I mean, the whole point of COVID land is isolation, right? So do a diagnostic within the Christian community, within the people of God. So here's a QR code. Uh, if you have your phone, go ahead and pull out, do, do your apps. Uh, if, wherever you're watching online, every site, go ahead and use your, use your, use your camera app and, and download this, 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 um, this diagnostic. And if you can't get this to work, you can pick one up at the connect, um, connection point um, in all the sites, or you can go online, just grab it. It's, you'll see three basic questions open-ended, really simple, okay? They're designed to help you think about where you've been and what God's doing in your life. And I want you then, once you download it, find somebody to talk to you and make an appointment this week if possible. Your loved one, your spouse, your family member, a good friend. For those of you who are students, talk to your parents, okay? Walk through these three questions. Do the diagnostic. Put it on your to-do list. This is the most simple, straightforward next step you're going to get in, in, this, in, in our sermon series here. Okay? Do that. Commit to doing that this week, I ask you. And um, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how to build in the foundational elements of our life as a people of God as we continue the journey of coming home. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the exiles that decided to say yes. We thank you for their decision to take that trip 900 miles, four months, because they want to be in the next chapter of your story. And Father, we, we say to you, we too want to be part of the next chapter. We know we're in the next chapter of your story, and we want to be as intentional as they are as we rebuild our lives in this post-COVID world. We're relaunching our lives. And we want our lives to reflect your priorities, your character, your values. We want to weave that into the fabric of our lives. So help us this week as we have conversations. Gives us insight about our hearts. Show us who we are and show us where we need to be. We pray and give thanks for your power, for your glory, and dissolve for you, for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.